This is episode number 263 with founder at Kaiso.io, Owen Murray. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today and now let's make the complex simple. This episode of the Super Data Science Podcast is brought to you by our very own Data Science Insider. The Data Science Insider is a weekly newsletter for data scientists, which is designed specifically to help you find out what have been the latest updates and what is the most important news in the space of data science, artificial intelligence, and other technologies. It is completely free and you can sign up at superdatascience.com DSI. And the way this works is that every week there's plenty of updates and seemingly important information coming out in the world of technology. But at the same time, it is virtually impossible for a single person on a weekly basis to go through all of this and find out what is actually really relevant to a career of a data scientist and what is actually very important. And that's why our team curates the top five updates of the week puts them into an email and sends it to you. So once you sign up for the Data Science Insider, every single Friday, you will receive this email in your inbox. It doesn't spam your inbox, it just arrives and it has the top five updates with brief descriptions. And that's what I like the most about it, the descriptions. So you don't actually even have to read every single article. So our team has already read these articles for you and put the summaries into the email. So you can simply just read the updates in the email and be up to speed in a matter of seconds. And if you like a certain article, you can click on it and read into it further. And so whether you want great ideas that can be used to boost your next project or you're just curious about the latest news in technology, the Data Science Insider is perfect for you. So once again, you can sign up at www.superdatascience.com slash DSI. So make sure not to miss this opportunity and sign up for the Data Science Insider today. And that way you will join the rest of our community and start receiving the most important technology updates relevant to your career already this week. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, super excited to have you back here on the show. And I literally just got off the phone with Owen Murray, who is one of the founders at Kaiso.io. Kaiso.io is an amazing tool, which you will love hearing about. It's a platform where you can blog about your data science projects using tools such as Jupyter Notebooks. So it really makes sharing your projects very easy and creates a fantastic user experience for the readers who are going to be reading your projects. And this all ties in very well with the whole notion of building your online presence and online portfolio in order to progress your career forward and to impact people, to help people um, and make a statement out there in the world. So I'm very excited about this product, not just the podcast, but Kaiso.io. I think it's a really cool thing. And in fact, the base version is actually free, free forever, as you'll see on the website. So I'm sure you guys will love checking it out. Um, and uh, what we talked about on this podcast is we started off with some very interesting 
conversations about startups and how you can jump into um, creating a startup, what accelerators are, what angel investors are, what venture capital funds are, uh, what uh, Owen's journey has been like in that process. So this is his second company that he's founded. He's a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he's been through the Techstars um, accelerator, accelerator. He'll tell you all about what, what it was like there, uh, what mentor madness is, what you get out of these uh, experiences in uh, the startup world. So if you're interested or even considering at some point, maybe down the future, down in the future to get into a startup or, or create a startup, I think this will be very interesting to hear about. Uh, then we talked about uh, Kaiso.io, the actual website and product that they've created and what it means for data scientists and how it is actually so important to communicate data science insights in a non-complex way and how Kaiso facilitates that journey. Uh, highly recommend because I think Kaiso has got a bright future. It's kind of like GitHub, but with a lot of additional layers that make the experience really cool. Plus it has integrations with GitHub anyway. So I think you'll find it interesting. Kaiso's probably got a very bright future ahead and you'll be one of the first people to hear about it on a podcast. And finally, at the end, we talked about Owen's other interests. So Owen's a really um, interesting person. He used to do quantum computing, he works on really cool projects. So we talked about his view of where data science is going, what the future is like, uh, whether or not data science should be a certified profession. Um, and uh, he gave us an example of a project from his past life uh, dealing with the E. coli bacteria using lasers and data science. So I think you'll find that interesting. On that note, can't wait for you to check out this podcast. And without further ado, I bring to you founder at Kaiso.io, Owen Murray. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show today because I've got a very exciting and interesting guest calling in all the way from Valencia, Spain, Owen Murray. Owen, how are you going today? I'm brilliant, Kirill. Thanks for having me on this show. That's, I'm, it's my pleasure. I've, like, uh, I've heard a bit about your work and uh, we were introduced by Raul Popa, who's been on the podcast before, so I'm very excited about things we're going to talk about. Um, how do you end up in Valencia? I've, I've never asked you this. Like, you're from Ireland. What are you doing in Valencia? Oh, cool. So my co-founder, Elena, is Spanish. And uh, we actually founded Kaiso in Andalusia, in Spain. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we moved to New York for a bit to do uh, Techstars New York City. That's where I met Raul, who, mm -hmm. who was on the show uh, with Typing DNA. Mm -hmm. um, and after, so Techstars is kind of a program where... If you're starting starting a startup, they'll give you some investment mm -hmm. and tons of advice, mm -hmm. um, and you go in and you you grow really fast, and then you maybe raise some more money from investors, mm -hmm. uh, and then you either stay in New York or you go back to wherever you were based previously. Mm -hmm. uh, so we came to Valencia because it's a great place to live. Mm -hmm. uh, it's nice at the beach. The mm -hmm. internet connection is outstanding, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it's a really good place to to start a company. Gotcha. Did you, by the way, like I was learning Spanish a couple of weeks ago and I noticed that they don't pronounce the letter V. So for them, Valencia is the same as Valencia. Do you hear that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, can be, it can be confusing sometimes. Um, <laughs> and then you have different regions of Spain have quite different Spanish. So yeah. like, 
in Barcelona they'll say Barcelona, but yeah. in Andalusia they'll say Barcelona. Barcelona, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, Catalan versus oh, what's the other one? The Castilian. 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 Yeah, it's the Catalan. Spanish that you kind of maybe call Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so TechStars, that's first of all, congratulations. That's really cool. We'll talk about uh, Kaiso in a second, but TechStars, just so I understand a bit better. So there's angel investors and there's venture capital funds like angel investors come earlier venture capital funds come later where is tech stars or you mentioned it's uh, before the podcast it's similar to y combinator where do those types of companies sit close to angel investors or venture so, capital? so, te- so tech, tech stars will typically be your first investment mm-hmm. or very very close to your first investment mm-hmm. uh, so when we did tech stars there was 12 companies in our batch Mm-hmm. So they, they do the program twice a year in many different cities around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and each program, they, they'll do it twice and they'll have um, maybe 12, 11 to 13 companies in each batch. Um, and when we went there, we were very early stage. So we didn't have revenue. Uh, we had, we'd only released our product. Um, there was a few comp- companies in the batch who actually like hadn't hadn't even started building their, their product by the time they got in. Mm. Um, however, there was some companies who were doing, you know, like half a million in revenue so far that year Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's a mix um but it's like they're typically very early Mm -hmm. so So i think the traditional thing is you you kind of come into techstars when you've released your product maybe and you're ready to grow it really fast Mm -hmm. and they'll give you tons of support to grow it really fast and then at the end of the program after the end of the three-month program there's kind of a demo day or an investor week where um They'll sit you down with about 30 or 40 venture capitalists and angel investors and you, you try to raise more money. Ah, gotcha. So they come even before the angel investors. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, roughly speaking, you know, mm-hmm. there's always, I mean, every company is unique. Yeah. Every, everybody had a unique story. Kind of. Gotcha. So, and was it hard to get into Techstars? Was like the um, I don't know, prerequisites or screening difficult process? Uh, it's quite a selective program. Uh, I think for ours, it's, I mean, it's maybe 12 companies out of 1,500 applications or something. Wow. Um, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of other accelerators around the world. Um, so anybody who's listening, who's interested in startups, it's a pretty good way to get your startup off the ground, especially if you're thinking of starting a startup, you know, maybe you have a job and you're thinking this is something you might enjoy doing. Um, accelerators are a really good way to kind of de-risk the idea for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Texas is a really good one. It's a very famous one. Uh, it was hard to get into. Um, we were lucky because both myself and my co-founder are technical, so we can code. And you know, we we've had experience in data science, where Kai, that's Kaiso's area. Uh, and we had also started and a company before and raised money for a company before. So I think that gave us a, a bit of a, an edge up. Mm. So, like, they could see you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, in general, accelerators are a really good way for anybody to kind of, even 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 the interview process mm. helps you refine your idea and, like, let you know if you actually want to pursue something. Um, so, if anyone's, like, listening, I would definitely say, like, if you have an, if you have an interest in a startup, like, even I'm from, I'm from a small city in Ireland. Uh, Ireland is a population of 4 million people. And there's, like, I think there's like 12 or 15 accelerators in the country now that you can apply to. Wow. Um, and then there might be a country nearby. So, if, I mean, if you're in the EU, there's plenty of, of accelerators you can apply to. Um, so you just chat to loads of people and see if see if you get into one. Hmm. 
So, uh, how, how come you went to the one in New York City then? Um, so we actually, yeah, we got into a couple around Europe and, and even one in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was kind of we, Alex Iskold is the guy who ran that program, and he was just really really helpful even in the interview process. Mm. Uh, and he had he is he had like strong technical skills, uh, so he knew he knew what we were about. Um, some like it depends on it depends on the person you know mm -hmm. uh, each accelerator is very unique so techstars even runs many programs uh, but depending on who is the specific team in your program will completely change the experience that you have mm -hmm. you know so we were just like drawn to the program alex had set up and that that worked for us interesting and so once you get in and then you get there is it like a several week process how, how what is the program how's the program structured yeah, so I, th I think um, each each person or each um, MD or managing director of each program will have a specific flavor. Um, so I know, for example, Techstars and Y Combinator have a quite different philosophy. Mm -hmm. So Y Combinator takes in about 100 companies into a batch, and they basically say, come in and talk to us once a week. But other than that, you should be kind of living and working in your flat, uh, coding and building product every day. Mm -hmm. uh, Techstars is a little different. So what they do is when you come in, they do like what they call mentor madness. So it's like a two week process where they will find out, they will find many, many like uh, experienced venture capitalists, experienced founders, uh, experienced product people in various or experts in various sectors and sit you down and you have like a half an hour meeting with about five people a day. Um, wow. And then you just, you pitch your idea and then they all give you feedback. Um, and they do that in the first two weeks. And you definitely, after the first two weeks, will have either refined or changed your idea a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then you do maybe, and then that's the first two weeks of three months. Then the rest of the program is basically you set a weekly target and you try to hit, you do whatever you need to hit that target. That can be building product. It can be doing sales calls. It can go meeting customers. Um, and you do that till the end of the program. And then the last two weeks is trying to raise more money. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of workshops along the way. And then there's like you have, you have a meeting with mentors every week uh, to kind of help you solve whatever specific problem you're facing right now. Gotcha. And uh, and all their requests in return is a share of your product. Yeah. So uh, Techstars, like they give you um, about a hundred thousand dollars of investment, um, and then for that investment plus the program, they take about eight percent of your business. Oh, okay. Well, that's not too bad at all. Good. I think that's. Uh, I mean, I mean, you, you, if you think of. If you think if you'll come in to the program with a certain valuation and you'll leave with a higher one, you've already personally made money by the mm -hmm. end of the program. Mm -hmm. If you think of that valuation increase. Yeah, and but like as you say, the the connections you make and the learning you experience throughout the process is invaluable. Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of ridiculous how much <laughs> yeah. um, you gain. Yeah, yeah. Even no, personally, yeah. So it's no wonder the like there's so many applications 1200 and only 12 or something i get in that's crazy crazy one out of 100 makes yeah sense. we were quite lucky yeah what, what would you say contributed to this success of getting through was it like you you knowing somebody or something about your idea or your application oh yeah this this is actually a funny one because it was it was actually at my my first startup which i started in in the uk uh -huh. uh, and i was trying to scramble so at that point i really didn't know what i was doing right mm -hmm. i was you know i would take a meeting with anybody uh, and i think that that was the right approach mm -hmm. and i ended up 
I ended up basically like try, when I was trying to raise money for my first company. Um, it's guy John Bradford in the UK who actually previously ran Techstars uh, London. He he, I got in touch. I got on onto him, and he was trying to give me advice, trying to give an introduction in, in the UK. None of which panned out, and nobody gave me mm-hmm. a lot of money for that. Uh, but then later on, he gave me another connection, who then gave me another connection, who then put me in touch with Alex Iskold. Mm-hmm. Um, really kind of like, and I, I, you know, when I first met, met the guys, I wasn't thinking of how this would pan out almost two years later, that I'd be able to follow uh, a, a networked route to to Alex, who then, you know, led us into Techstars. And another point I think is important to make is we 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 applied really, really early. Like we we were... You know, maybe Alex was running maybe a two-month application process. I'd, I'd say he, we spoke to him about two weeks before he really started doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that definitely helped us kind of get in because, you know, him and the team are not talking to too many other companies at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still the open spaces. You know, if, if maybe if we had applied in the last week of the application window, it, it would have been a lot harder. Mm, gotcha. Uh, but what... Um what is very impressive to me is that you mentioned you not only got into that New York uh, NYC chapter, you got into a couple of other ones in Europe. Are they all linked or you, they were no, separate? No, I, I, there was just other kind of um, different unconnected accelerators. That, ah, okay. So basically, myself and Elena, were, my co-founder, were, just, were based in Spain, uh, running out of whatever little money we had mm-hmm. that we were funding ourselves with. And we needed to raise money, so we applied to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and got into some things and then chose Techstars. Gotcha, gotcha, understood. Okay, wow, well, thank you very much for the rundown. I'm sure if anybody is looking to get into a startup now, they're very well equipped with the whole uh, process uh, that accelerators follow and how to get in on that. And uh, on that note, tell us about Kaiso. Like, I think there's so much anticipation built up now. You, you got to tell us what this idea is. And uh, guys, listen up. This this is pretty crazy. It's really data science related, relevant, and I'm like really sure a lot of you are going to be using this after this podcast. So please, Owen, take it away. So 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 very very simply, Kaiso is a place where you can blog your data science. Um, so if you have a chart that you want to ch- share, um, or a data set, or you want to write an article, a, a kind of a data journalism article. Um, you can post all of this to Kaiso. So it's kind of like medium, but we want to focus on data science. And to make that even easier for data scientists is we actually support a lot of the data science tools. So for example, um, Jupyter Notebooks or Markdown uh, Notebooks. So what that means is that, so a Jupyter Notebook is like a really, really common uh, data science tool where it's an interactive coding environment where you type code uh, into a cell you evaluate that code and the results appear to you live in the document. So this is super useful um, if you're visualizing data. So even if you're making a line chart, you just you, you type in the code, evaluate the cell, the chart appears inside the document. Uh, and I used to work with these so much in my past career. Um, and they were a bit little difficult, difficult to share. Uh, so you can share them, for example, on GitHub. Um, but then they look like this kind of technical document where the code and like any any um, terminal output is all visible. Um, what we do on Kaiso is we just hide the code by default. Now you can click a button to see it again, but you'd basically upload your 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 hardcore data science document, upload it to Kaiso, and it just looks like a blog post. 
Mm. Um, so it means what, what, why, why it's so useful is because you can be writing a technical document and then you can kind of trivially share it with a non-technical audience uh, without needing to do any extra work. Mm-hmm. That is that is really cool. And um, for those listening, who if you've taken our Python A to Z course, that whole course is done in Jupyter Notebooks. And in fact, Jupyter Notebooks is a very powerful tool. Um, it's like some of the big companies like Google, Facebook, and so on use Jupyter Notebooks for some of their work. And you can do end-to-end even deep learning and AI in Jupyter Notebooks. So if you, if you haven't heard of Jupyter Notebooks, then definitely check it out. It's, uh, it's a really cool uh, place where you can not only just code, what I like about it is that not only just code, but you along the way can write comments, can annotate things. And what uh, Owen and the team at Kaiso have created is that you just like upload your Jupyter Notebook and it renders really beautifully into something that people can read and the user experience is really cool. And uh, one, one, one of the one things I, because when I was learning kind of Python and data science in the beginning, I found Jupyter Notebooks super useful because, because at this point where uh, you type into a cell and then into like you type code into a, like one box and evaluate that. And it just really allows you to kind of interactively play with your code. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you kind of learn a lot faster and a lot more because um, and you can do super cool things. Like if you tab, if you, uh, is it command tab when you're on, say, if I go, if I'm using pandas and I go pandas dot data frame and I'm like, what are the docs for data frame? What, what's the order of the arguments? I can either Google that or I can actually like do command tab and it just like a little pop up appears with all the documentation for, for that specific function. Um, it's just really, really helpful way uh, to get started in data science. And then it's cool because it's actually still the tool you will use when you're an expert in data science, you know, mm-hmm. when you're doing it day to day. And how do you come up with this idea? So when I, I used to, in a past life, I worked in science. Um, so I used to work as a quantum computing researcher in Ireland and then in the UK. And basically the workflow that we had was we would design a chip, uh, then bring it to the lab. So these chips were kind of interesting because a, a typical computer chip runs on electricity. This would run on light. So we would use optical fibers and plug light into, into these chips. And then we would measure the spectrum or various pieces of data about these chips. Um, and then we would, I would use, I was like maybe me and other people on the team would, would take the data and have to process the data maybe make a chart of the spectrum, um, chart of the temperature, see how it's working, and then share those charts with the rest of the team so that then we could like analyze yesterday's experiment to design a, ch- a new chip for next week. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of played with a lot of tools. So, I mean, you can always, you could always import your data into Excel, uh, but that quickly just wasn't quite powerful enough for all of the customized analysis that we needed to do. Uh, so we stumbled upon Jupyter Notebooks, um, and it was that, like it's such an amazing tool for this, where you can write your, you know, you can write your comments, um, you can format the document, you can have all of your plots and charts in the document, um, but we just found them a little difficult to share, uh, and a little difficult to reuse. So if, uh, for example, if we're collaborating on some project and I'm doing a notebook today, and then next week you want to use it, uh, I mean you can use GitHub. 
and that's mm-hmm. currently like that's currently a good a good way to reuse them. But maybe if you want to take a snippet and you need to be able to kind of discover and see and read my documents or my notebooks before you'll know exactly what you want to reuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so we found that a little difficult. And then I, I went to the UK. Um, I was on a big team there, and we had similar problems. Um, so it always kind of it was always in the back of my head. I wanted to do something around making these Jupyter notebooks easier to share and mm. or ju- just in general making it easier to kind of communicate data science because that's what these Jupyter notebooks are they're a communication tool mm-hmm. um, which is the most important part of data science in my opinion mm-hmm. so like you know the phrase if a tree falls in a forest and nobody is around to hear it yeah. does it even make a sound mm-hmm. it's the exact same th- thing if you gain an insight from data and you don't tell anybody well did you even gain that insight did it even matter mm-hmm. true so communicate the key point and that's why this 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 technology is really useful okay okay gotcha and so would you say that that's the main difference between github and kaiso that you can actually as opposed to like forking a whole repository on github uh, you can just read through the document the Jupyter notebook on kaiso and select the elements that you want or are there any other differences i mean so one 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 is the, the big one is kind of um is that you can choose to show and hide the code for the Jupyter Notebook on Kaiso. So what that means is that I can be writing an extraordinarily deep document uh, with highly technical code about how to uh, process a piece of data. But then if I write my comments properly and my my output graphics look really nice, um, when I upload it to Kaiso, showing the code is optional. So if you have the code hidden, the Jupyter Notebook just looks like a blog post. Mm. It's just text, graphs, more text, more graphs. So you can read it. So a non-technical person can come along and read it, depending on, on what the comments you've written are. But if someone technical comes along and they they see a graph or they see a technique that they really like um, because of how you've explained this, they can just click a button and show the code and it'll show them the code that, say, generated that graph or did that piece of processing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Very, yeah, very cool. So it's kind of like so, almost like a conspiracy. You know, somebody might end up on Kaiso by accident. It looks like a regular blogging platform, but it's in reality, it's data scientists actually, just hiding. Actually, it. that's some that's something that um, we were surprised by, and we've actually had to work on. So, <laughs> um, data scientists in the in the beginning, data scientists were coming to Kaiso, yeah. and they were like, "This is a really interesting article," and and we would be like, "Did you know it's actually a Jupyter notebook?" <laughs> no. Like, what? No way. Because it wasn't obvious enough. It looked, it just looked too, uh, too like a blog post. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. So um, what I wanted to say is <clears throat> I really like this idea for enabling people to build their online portfolios and presence. This, for me, this has been, you know, people come and ask questions, how do I build a career in data science? How do I advance my career? How do I get a promotion? How do I break into this field? And my answer is always, do you, what is your online presence? Do you have uh, projects that you've shared? Have you gone and published, I don't know, a Tableau public uh, workbook? Do you have code on GitHub? Do you have articles on Medium? Do you have articles on LinkedIn? Are you, what are you doing to share this knowledge to show people out there that you are capable in the projects that you're working on? Have you done Kaggle competitions? And like Kaiso, in that sense, the way I see it is, is a ideal place to go and 
share those projects that you're working on in your free time in order to just have that portfolio so that, first of all, other people can learn from you and ask you questions and you can explain things and learn it even better. But on the other hand as well, so that either recruiters or employers or your employer or your manager, people can actually see that you're an expert in this field and you're not afraid to position yourself out as one and uh, or you're learning and you're going to be an expert. Basically, they can see the passion of you putting time and effort into this. And that speaks a lot. Like with data science becoming so popular and your sal- the salary is going through the roof, there's a lot of people who want to get in. But the people that make the best data scientists are the ones that are actually passionate about the field. And we're not just like talking about it. And one way to demonstrate it is through something like Kaiso.io. So, you know, like that's, I just want to thank you on behalf of our, of our audience that you're enabling this movement and people to share their work like that. Yeah, no, uh, Kirill, I really agree with that. And I think that actually there's like a secret weapon that data scientists have is that, and this is really something we want to drive home is that, uh, you know, because here with Kaiser, you can share with a non-technical audience. And, and what we've noticed actually is that um, a lot of the content shared on Kaiser is very conversational, mm. right? So, you know, um, if you're, you know, if, if you have like a really nice LinkedIn profile, you might get uh, a message from a recruiter who will then put you in touch with uh, the technical recruiter at a, at a company, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the first recruiter might not be a technical person, right? Um, and then if they're looking at your GitHub profile and, you know, you, everything you, everything you've published looks very, looks very technical and codey, uh, it's hard for them to parse it, you know, mm-hmm. whereas with these kind of notebooks that we see people publishing on Kaiso, they're very conversational. So one, one study is actually someone has used the GitHub API, um, to predict the, or, or to, to measure and then predict the future of the number of Jupyter notebooks on GitHub, mm-hmm. or it's things like looking at the GDP of countries versus um, the their democracy index. So seeing how democratic they are. Mm-hmm. Um, things like looking at GDP per capita versus the Gini coefficient. Um, so this is all kind of lots, lots of stuff about climate change. You know, how much CO2, uh, tons of CO2 per year are going into the atmosphere. Uh, for different countries and how is your country doing and it's very conversational work you know Mm -hmm. so you actually you kind of it's a secret weapon i think that data scientists have over other technical fields is that if you do it right everybody can read your work not Mm -hmm. just other programmers does that make sense yeah yeah and that's uh is for from my perspective that's the as you say secret weapon that's that's the really Valuable data scientists are the most valuable data scientists are the ones who can bridge the gap between technical insights and the non-technical business decision makers. And what I'm getting from your uh, description of Kaiso is that you can kind of like get into the habit of practicing speaking your insights in a non-technical way and in a conversational way and i think that's a it's a very important soft skill that a lot of data scientists miss out on and you know that but should be focusing on developing because for me in my career i'm by far not nowhere near the top data scientists in the world but at the same time i'm i find i can actually 
explain complex things in a simple manner. And that's what helps me get ahead. And I, I wish that to as many people as possible. So if you can practice that in a setting like this, I think that's it's a really cool thing. And I actually, I definitely agree with that point because I really think it is a learned skill. It's not that you just wake up someday as a kind of a good communicator. You know, it's it's practice. You know, when we, like we publish a lot of fun studies on Kaiso. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the beginning, they would get, I don't know, 500 people would read them if I post them on Reddit, that is beautiful. Uh, and then we learned about how to, you know, make the graphs nicer to look at, uh, more interesting and simple to look at because people will comment, you know, and they're like, yeah, I don't understand this or I don't like this. Um, and you just get better at like have picking a proper title, um, you know, the proper amount of description, not too much to make it, you know, way too detailed and a bit dull, not too little that, you know, there's no, there's nothing to, to bite on, um, having the right amount of graphs in a, in a report, for example, it's like, you know, maybe you should, we kind of, it's like between one and three makes a lot of sense and you'll get a lot of readers. Mm-hmm. So we kind of learn, we actually ourselves have learned this skill. Uh, in the last year of Kaiso, where you know, in the beginning, you're only getting 500 people reading it, and now, now you get 25,000 people reading an article. Wow! Um, and it's it's just like you posted in the same place. Actually, this is maybe something that your listeners might find useful. Um, so we we had to learn ourselves in the beginning, like you know, how do I how do I actually share? You know, because like if I'm on LinkedIn and I have 100 connections, I'm on Twitter and I have 100 people following me. What are like this? I can I can host my report or my and my my article on Kaiso, but how do I go about actually getting people to read it? You know, mm-hmm. um, how do I go from maybe a hundred followers to to lots more? Uh, and what we've learned actually is uh, Reddit. You know, the the subreddit data is beautiful. It has thirteen million people reading it, mm-hmm. um, and it gets about twenty five to thirty submissions a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've noticed that if something is good and uh, people come along and comment on it, that a lot of people will actually read it. Uh, on Kaiso, you can see the people, the amount of views you get as well. So you get some analytics about your post. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if people are like people are listening and they're kind of figuring out a, a place to to post their work to get readers, um, Data is Beautiful is a really good one. Uh, and Hacker News is obviously a good one as well. It's a bit more hit and miss, but you know, out of Every five posts you publish, maybe one will hit the front page, and then you'll get a lot of readers in that. Mm-hmm. And one thing we've noticed as well is that, like, if you if you rank high on Data is Beautiful or Hacker News or or, or Data Science or or like as well, um, the point to make is that if say you're submitting to Reddit, it's pick a topic where um, your graph is interesting. So if you like write an economics article, you know you look at the wealth per ho- household of lots of different countries, right? Post that to our economics, you know, mm-hmm. um, and we've noticed that, you know, it'll get it'll if it's a good thing, it'll get ranked highly and people were shared in other places. And before you know it, your post is cascaded onto like, you know, then there's like 100 people tweeting about it. It's on Hacker News as well, because someone else has posted about it. Um, so yeah, that might be something that your readers might be, your listeners might be interested in if they're thinking of how to build a portfolio is just kind of like write write about six or seven articles and then just you know, post them to like about four different places. Don't do too much. Don't be spammy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do that every now and then, you know, maybe you're publishing an article every week or two weeks and you do the four steps for, for each article, you're definitely going to um, start getting readers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Really cool. Um, and what I wanted to ask you on, on the flip side, let's say 
which, to your point earlier, when I'm in, inside an organization, I'm a data scientist and I'm working on a project or our team is working on a project and we know that we will probably need to replicate this on a monthly basis, but with some alterations and you know, some, some new changes, developments and so on. Um, can I use Kaiso? Is it, is it safe to upload um, projects with company-specific information, with maybe sensitive data uh, and things like that? Because like, of course, yes. it's valuable on the public side, but what about inside a company? Yeah, yeah, cool. So maybe there's two points there. I'll just reference the one about um, uh, reusing work. Mm. So in Kaiser, you can fork everything. So mm. I can see, I could. So for example, I want to look at um, if you have a study about the the carbon emissions of Germany for last year, and I I'm like that's amazing. I want to see that for my country, Ireland. I can press the fork button. Um, I can actually open that up and. A point to make is we've recently launched it, so actually you can you can open up a Jupyter notebook server on Kaiso, so you can actually play with the code, or you can download the, the notebook and run Jupyter notebook locally, mm-hmm. uh, and then publish it. But you can you can download an existing study, swap the data in for for say Ireland versus Germany, and just republish that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fork is tracked, so it's like um, it's a really really cool way to reuse work, um, so that. You know, people can kind of expand and extend each other's work and remix stuff. Mm-hmm. And then to your point about internal, yeah. So about a, about a month ago, uh, we launched Kaiso for Teams, which is basically the full Kaiso stack, um, ring-fenced only to a private uh, environment for Teams, where you can share sensitive graphs um, and stuff that you don't want the public to read, obviously. Uh, and you can, have, you can have permissions control. So, for example, I can... I can add, I can start, I can make a team on Kaiso, and then I can add other editors. So these are people who are allowed to um, share, to publish to the to that team scope, uh, and then I can add viewers. And the viewer permissions mean people are only allowed to read stuff and comment on stuff, and they're not allowed to have submissions. Um, so this is useful then if you're just trying to, you know, maybe run a, a reviewing process, you know, where you know there's a limited amount. So some people want everybody to be able to post everything. Some people want to restrict that. Um, some people want to review work so that that a Kaiso kind of acts as an internal journal as opposed to like a blog where you write, you post everything. Um, so yeah, it's it's completely um, suitable to, for that purpose. And we've 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 companies now using it a lot, and it seems it's really really useful. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, and I'm just looking, so definitely that's, that's a very, very valuable feature and it's like kind of like a corporate subscription type of, uh, offering. And, uh, what I wanted to ask is I'm just looking through kaiso.io. Uh, can you help me out? Uh, how do, let's say you mentioned like the German uh, study, how, is there like a search button where I can search for a specific study that I'm after? Cause I, I don't seem to see where to do that. Oh uh, yeah. So right now we have tags. Um, and our, we, we've get a lot of questions about that. Our, our search functionality is coming really, really soon. Okay. We've gotcha. been working on it. Um, and there'll be a big search bar there where you can get everything. Gotcha. It's uh-huh. on our to-do list. When did you start Kaiso.io? So we, we started it about a year and a half ago, mm. but we did a big pivot, mm. um, about six months ago, which was, which is what you see now as a kind of current iteration. Wow. It's very impressive for something that's only a year old. That's really cool. Um, so yeah, for listeners, if you're interested, it's kaiso, K-Y-S-O dot I-O. Um, well, by the way, where, where did the name come from? 
Um, so we used to play this game. We used to ask like investors or just anybody who'd ask us. I'd be like, look, I'll give you 10 points or I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll buy you a beer if you can tell me what Kaiso means. Uh-huh. Uh, and people would spend a month like tr- Googling it, trying to figure it out. And it doesn't mean anything. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a four-letter domain name that we were able to buy. <laughs> nice. Literally. And it sounds kind of catchy. Oh, also, in the very, very beginning, Paiso was, it's, we started out as a command line tool to turn on and turn off uh, Jupyter notebook servers on AWS. <laughs> and because it started as a command line tool, we wanted the command line tool to have the same name as the website. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Git or mm-hmm. something like this. Uh, so we really wanted to have a four-letter word, oh, okay. or even three, but that's impossible. And yeah. it had to be it had to be easy to type as well. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to say it, but there's a flow sometimes when you're when you're typing a word all the time. Yeah, you don't want you want to be able to maybe type it with one hand, or you don't want the letters to be too too like you don't want A and P and Q and M or something. They're too far away on the keyboard. Yeah. That's, that, by the way, that's a really cool tip for speaking of you know startups and people wanting to get into the space. Like that's the same kind of approach I take when when you're starting a new business. And first thing you do is you go and check for the domain name, and then and then from what's available, then you pick out the name of your business. Pretty much, that's because the domain name is important, right? It has to be memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think as well. Okay. Um, if it's a tool. You have to have the name uh, tied to the tool. Yeah, true, true. Okay, cool. So that's kaiso.io. Everybody who's interested, make sure to check it out. Um, upload your projects there. And uh, Owen, tell us a bit about more, more a bit, a bit more about yourself. Like you've got a really cool, interesting background. You know, not to even mention the quantum computing with light and things like that. And you've done. You know, you're a serial entrepreneur, things like that. What are some of the other things that you're interested in these days? So one thing I think is very interesting is to think about the evolution of data science as a subject, not not necessarily as an industry where you kind of process data and present it at work and uh, make decisions there, but how it will, I think, influence the wider way uh, society is processing information. So, you know, a few years ago, right? Um, before you had a smartphone and Wikipedia, you could be at a bar with a friend and you'd start arguing about some trivial fact, you know, that yeah. your friend has a different opinion. Uh, what's the what's the population of France, right? And you'd be like, oh, it's 20 million. You'd be like, it's 120 million. And we'd go on for ages and, and only like the next day would we be, actually be able to check, right? Mm-hmm. And people don't really have these kind of discussions anymore because you'll just Google it, right? Yeah. Um, so what happens there is the kind of discussion now is that like single point facts are trivial to check. Um, and that's kind of changed the types of discussions you'll have with people. And I think what, what data science might do is like the same thing, but for mo- like multidimensional facts. Does that make sense? So it's kind of mm-hmm. before what's the population of France? Now it's like, how does, how is the population of France changed in the last few years and how it's going to evolve in the future? Or a, a question will become like, how's the population of France changed and how is that, how, what, how is it's like demographics shifted or how, how is that, that, that population change related to its economic growth performance for the last few years. So, and, and these are going to be things that are just more widely known by people. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and do you think they'll be in part also enabled by uh, assistants like the Google assistant and Alexa and so on, where you, they just yeah, can do I, those I predictions think, for you. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I think that's going to happen. And like right now, if you you'll check like a single fact on Wikipedia, 
And soon enough, we'll be getting charts and graphs and, and the discussion will, will change towards having more multidimensional uh, view of things. And I definitely think it's going to be part on people will demand this kind of stuff because, you know, data journalism is is exploding where mm -hmm. you don't have to go interview politicians or, you know, go out into the field to discover something. You can just process data that exists. Um, so the discussion even in, 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 in the news today, you see more and more charts posted. Um, and I definitely think, I, I think Siri and stuff, you'll be asking it, what's the paper population of France? It won't tell you a number. It'll show you a graph for the last five years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And, uh, and the other thing? Oh, I think what's a very interesting uh, topic for discussion, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near an expert on this, but is, is like the ethics of, of data science and AI, uh, how they're going to, to, to be going forward. Mm. Okay, so what are your thoughts? How are they going to be going forward? What do you think? Uh, so I think it's it's a very hard question. So um, what's that show? Is it Little Britain where, um, you know, you're trying to get your driver's license and the person behind the desk just says, like, the computer says no? No, I haven't seen that. It's, uh, it's like sounds the computer says no. The computer says no. Um, <laughs> and so sometimes we, like, because sometimes I think that, like, this tendency of people to, to think that the computer is like an objective system that gives you like an objectively correct answer about something, right? Uh -huh. um, whereas in actual fact, uh, a computer or a, an AI, AI system, it just like reflects the, the biases or the input it was given or the, the, the decision-making capability it was given, right? So you see that, you know, an AI can be very biased towards and against certain groups of people or certain certain types of behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and I think you see world governments all over the place now saying, you know, because, you know, a big issue with neural nets is how how knowable it is, right? So maybe maybe there's a, a nightclub and instead of having a bouncer, it has um, a facial recognition, right? And mm -hmm. then it doesn't let me in. Um, right now, it's very hard to ask uh, a neural net, why didn't Owen get into the nightclub, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like making that like transparent and like how knowing why the AI made a, a system, uh, a decision, uh, and then like being able to kind of, um, ask it to try and make a decision again, or be able to like escalate your problems until you're talking to a human is something that's, that's very, very important. You, you kind of imagine this is an important, uh, thing to have. Um, and I think, I think I'm, I'm a bit worried. And I think some people are worried that like, we're actually going to have this like system where, we just let the AI make all the decisions and there's no transparency into it or, or like able to escalate um, to like petition a change in that. Because I think it's an amazing technology, but we have to like, you know, remember how it's implemented and, and understand how it's implemented, and how it affects different groups of people, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a whole uh, discussion about interpretable AI. On one hand, you know, if you make AI more interpretable, you minimize that problem or not, but at the same time you lose in efficiency, right? Like yeah. the less interpretable it is, the more, the less there's restrictions and boundaries for what can be inside uh, in terms of implementation. And that just means uh, more variety, more opportunities for the artificial intelligence. And yeah, it's a, it's a tough topic at the moment, right? Yeah, it's, I, mean, I think it's kind of like if, if you're learning data science, you have to learn the skill but also like a mm. bit of a part of like the philosophy around it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because gotcha, you, gotcha. you think, you think you're going to, you think you're going to make, um, 
you like sometimes you could have this thing where you think you're going to make a, a vision system to to analyze cancer data and it, it could get yeah. used in a weapon you know and maybe yeah. you're not okay with that or maybe you are i don't know yeah yeah gotcha and is do you think um what's your stance on uh, data science being a certified profession for instance like you know uh accountants they have the chartered accountant or um you know in finance they they have certain exams that they need to pass lawyers need to be certified in order to practice law that's like probably the clearest example you cannot be somebody's lawyer unless uh especially in certain circumstances unless you like you have a certification or you yes. have to be a barrister what do you think should data scientists and uh, people who develop ai should they be required to have certifications um i'm not i'm not sure um like on the question of should it or shouldn't it i'm not i'm not sure on the question of will it i don't think so for the simple fact that i think in like it's going to be it's become going to become like a skill that everybody has in in 10 or 15 years you know what i mean um so it's kind of like to restrict it in that way i just i don't think it'll be feasible because i think you're going to have you know now now we're seeing at the forefront of people in education of data science right Mm-hmm. um and then you're you know you're, you're helping people get into the industry i think in 10 15 years like it's going to go from maybe there's maybe there's six or seven million people today learning data science it's going to be it's going to be 120 130 million people in in 10 years uh it's gonna be very hard to kind of implement some um regulations or regulations or, or like um certification system around that you know yeah yeah i see what you mean Gosh, and um, I actually have this question popped in my head. Like now, being a uh, entrepreneur and start having started a business, or you know, your second business now. You mentioned you were back back in the day in another life. You're doing quantum computing and uh, data science, as as I imagine. Do you miss it? Do you miss being in the field and actually doing data science as opposed to entrepreneuring? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, sometimes it, it comes into my head, um, like, you know, oh, there was this, there was this beauty around that, you know, that I would, you know, kind of, I would have some data I can't explain, and I would have to read a book um, about how to, how to simulate some system, then I'd, another book about how to, like, actually do the data science of that simulation, um, <laughs> and I would then apply it, and, um, but then what motivates, like, that, that was a very beautiful kind of, um, a scientific process you know and it's very satisfying to do that you know when you see you see that you've built a model and you know nine times out of ten it doesn't work but when it works you're like oh my god that's amazing that's such a great feeling um what motivates me now though is that i think that you know it's like i was one scientist you know um if i can make if i can make a thousand scientists five percent more efficient in the way they work the overall impact is just so big, you know, mm-hmm. but there is definitely something beautiful and satisfying about how, how, uh, when you know, you know, you have a lot of data coming in and you process it and you analyze it and you then finally fully understand it. You know, it's kind of like you've, you've taken this mess and ordered that system in a way that you can understand it and then give that understanding to other people. That's a very, very satisfying process. Okay, cool. Do you have any, examples from your past life of uh, interesting projects that you might be able to share with us yeah so there's one project i was kind of advising on which was using microfluidics and photonics to 
um, try to identify contaminants in in water. So E. coli and other bacteria, like legionnaires, for example. And what, what we did was there was a, a glass chip with little pipes in it. And we would, we would contaminate some water uh, with gloves, obviously. And we would put the water through these little pipes and we'd shine a laser at it. And then depending on the, so every bacteria, so the, the laser would hit the, the bacteria and it would reflect and you'd, you'd measure the reflection in a spectrometer. So you'd get a kind of a histogram of the wavelength of the light versus its intensity. And every piece of bacteria had a very specific spectrum. Like it was a unique identifier, right? Mm-hmm. But we wanted, to, we wanted to come up with an automated classifier so that you could, so a robot could tell you what it is. I'm 90% sure this is E. coli, you know? Mm-hmm. And versus legionnaires, you needed to know like the specific bacteria, not just the existence of bacteria. So we used uh, support vector machines to, so basically we just did lots of, lots of repeated tests of, of taking spectrum on, on the two different bacteria uh, or the, the fewer, the five or six, and then use uh, support, support vector classifiers to, to be able to um, run them through a model. And then it would just tell you what, what it thinks it is. Um, and, you know, when we started the project, we were only getting, you know, 50% probability success rates, which is, which is not great because it's effectively random. <laughs> um, and then after about six months of just tweaking the way the data was processed, we put into the scikit-learn um, support vector machine algorithm. Uh, so, like, we, we actually just ended up, uh, like, a log 10 transformation made it really, really accurate. Uh, we were mm. getting up to, like, 99%. Uh, so that meant that, meant that basically it was the beginnings of a system where you could run water through a pipe, uh, shine a laser at it, gather the laser, laser spectrum, and it would be able to tell you uh, if there was bacteria present in that water and then what within a group what kind of bacteria that was. Wow, that's really cool. Did that get implemented anywhere? Uh, it's, it's, it, was, it was a research project. But um, and this is about four years ago we did this, and I think they're doing some small field trials now. Wow! Because, I mean, there's a lot of work in getting all of that system packaged mm. up and cheap. Interesting. Because what what I find interesting about this is that you, first of all, like why did you select SVM? What was the decision for that, if you remember? And the other one was like you selected SVM, you got a fifty percent accuracy, but you still stuck with support vector machine rather than. Uh, switching to a different model, you and you got the end result that you wanted. So, just curious about the thinking behind that. Uh, I can't remember specifically why we chose it. Um, I think there was like a team standard of of using that library. Mm. Um, so I kind of inherited that a little bit, and the fifty percent was basically. I think it was. Um, so a lot of it was to do with how the data was prepared before it went in, right? Mm-hmm. So what it was was that the signals were so similar in intensity after being normalized that that there was like you have you'd have a lot of these different peaks in the histogram and that basically there was maybe there was maybe 45 unique in not 45 indicators of a bacteria but then there was only two or three which would tell you between two different bacteria so you kind of had to like amplify that difference you know mm-hmm. Which is what, like a just a log ten transformation would do. It would kind of make that look bigger. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, like, kind of, yeah. Okay. So, 
yeah, you multiply everything by a billion or something and you or different areas and you'd see that because it's like, yeah. Yeah, I think that's basically it. It's basically that the difference was was quite small between the identifiers that you had to you had to somehow make the space between them bigger to separate them oh. out. And the log ten transformation did the trick. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, wow. Interesting project. Hopefully that go rolls out and helps people uh in their lives. Um well on that note that actually brings us towards the end of this podcast. Um really cool to hear your insights and uh of course the work that you guys are doing at Kaiso.io. Um could you share some links please with our listeners where they can get in touch, follow you, maybe ask you some questions or just see where your career takes takes you. Yeah, yeah, super. So I mean Kaiso.io is Kaiso KYSO.io. Um you can, mm-hmm. anybody wants to ask me a specific question, you can get me by my email. I'll respond pretty quickly. Uh, E-O-I-N at Kaiso.io. Um, and I'm also on Twitter where it's E-O underscore I-N. And I'm happy to, oh. to, to... I love when people send me data sets and I see if I can visualize them. That's going to be a fun thing. All right. Be careful what you wish for, Owen. You'll get like 10,000 data sets after this podcast. Oh, but then I can do an interesting study on, you know... I come on this podcast and then what kind of data sets get sent to me. That'll tell me a lot yeah. about your listeners. Oh, true, true. All right, cool. Um, and also LinkedIn is okay for people to connect with you there? Oh, yeah, super. Um, what's my LinkedIn unique? Yeah, yeah, that, we'll, we'll add it to the show oh, notes. Super, super. Yeah, yeah, fun. happy for that. Awesome. Okay, well, uh, one more question actually before you go. Uh, is there any book that you can recommend to our listeners that has helped you in your career? Yeah, there is. Um, so I learned data science kind of by doing during my physics career. Uh, but a lot of data science um, fundamentally is is just linear algebra, right? Um, so I think I'd recommend, this is a very difficult book. Um, but if you can read the first chapter of it, you'll definitely walk away with a lot more knowledge than when you went in. And it's a book called Quantum Computation and Quantum Information by uh, Isaac Chuang and Michael Nielsen. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't really recommend the whole book. It's, it's, it was, it's kind of like the Bible of, of quantum information. Um, it's a very, very big book. But the first chapter of it is by far the best introduction I've come across to linear algebra, mm-hmm. which is kind of, you know, uh, an advanced step in, in, in data science, but it's very, very useful. Okay, gotcha. Quantum information and quantum computation right yeah by chuang and nielsen by chuang and nielsen perfect all right well owen thanks so much again for coming on the show sharing your insights and keep up the great work you guys are doing with kaiso.io thanks so much thanks for having me on So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, that was Owen Murray from Kaiso.io. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did and got some valuable takeaways. Uh, For me, probably the most interesting part was the whole conversation around uh, startups and accelerators, uh, different types of investments and what you get out of these programs that you can participate in. I I don't know if I'll ever be in one of them, if I'll ever apply, but it is just good to know this whole world because startups are on the rise. There's so many interesting things happening in the startup world. So 
like I got a really good share of knowledge from that part of the conversation. And of course, needless to say, the whole concept of Kaiso.io, the tool where you can share your data science projects. I'm very grateful Owen's looking into that and it's really cool also to see that the base level of pricing uh, on the platform is free and as it says there right now, free forever. So that's, that's very admirable that they're creating this tool for us data scientists to actually share our work and experiences and I look forward to seeing how is going to develop so since in its first year of existence already so so cool so i can only see like a bright future ahead for it on that note you can get all the show notes for this episode at www.superdatascience.com 263 that's superdatascience.com 263 there you'll get all the links that were mentioned on this episode a url to owen's linkedin and other social media we can follow him and connect with him plus a transcript for this episode and anything else that might be required in order for you to get the maximum out of this podcast episode. So check it out. On that note, thanks so much for being here and I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.